Let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 9, what Paul read for us earlier. John, chapter 9. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, for the night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, as we get to chapter nine, we've talked about John's gospel being broken up into five different sections. We happen to be in a third section, um, five through 12, and what we're going to see um, as it escalates Um, This section is called The Opposition to the Son of Man. They've already determined he's got to go. They've set traps for him. Last week they brought the woman caught in the act of adultery. And um, they are losing the crowds. Uh, One of the reasons um, for their hatred is they were losing their position and their place. Now that's a little bit farther on in the Gospel of John, but it's one of the one of the five reasons that Jesus has to go. They were losing their prominence, their position. Why? Because people in multitudes were now listening and following Jesus, and the Lord openly spoke against them. If you're taking notes, Matthew 23. He cuts them no slack at all. Brood of vipers, hypocrites. How can you escape hell's fire? He just goes right after their hypocrisy. I've entitled the morning's message, Who Sinned? And remember that the Gospel of John has written around seven miracles. We'll see one of those here this morning. And we'll also see... um, uh, seven I am statements. And we just read here in verse five, I am the light of the world. That's one of the seven. Um, as we read this, these verses here, it, it prompts the disciples to ask a question. They're associating this man's blindness with either his sin or his parents' sin. And um, let's go back to John chapter 5, just a couple pages back. And um, we also find uh, a healing taking place here. And pick it up in verse 1. We'll read the first 16 uh, verses here. It says, Now, after this, it was the feast of the Jews, and the Jews went up to Jerusalem. And there in Jerusalem by the sheep's gate was a pool, which is called in the Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. Um, Because we were talking about Bethesda, and uh, I can't take you there and give you this Bible study, I thought I would bring Bethesda back to you. So I'm going to show you a picture of Bethesda. My wife pointed out to me this morning as we were driving to church that um, one of the reasons we don't go to the 
upper room because um, Jerusalem has been destroyed and rebuilt over 20 times. There's no way that the upper room is the upper room. But she says it's different with the Pool of Bethesda because you're not looking up, but you're actually looking down. And so uh, she's absolutely right. This is a place, the church that I was making reference to, somebody put it on YouTube, um, of us singing, saying Alleluia to the Lord. Anybody catch that or see that? It's out there floating in the clouds somewhere, but um, it would be right uh, to the uh, left of, of this shot here, I believe. But anyway, this, um, the five porches, this would have been, uh, this is an A site, this is the pool of Bethesda. I'm gonna leave that up for just a little bit. Then I'm going to show you um, something else. Having five porches. And in there laid a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool, stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been in that condition for a long time. Okay, I haven't been here for a couple weeks, but remember what is one of the points when we study the Gospel of John that I wanted you to remember? That whoever Jesus speaks to, he always knows something about that person that only that person knows. No exception without... uh, whatever character we're talking about. In this case, he knew how long he had this affliction. And now the Lord said he had already known that he had been in that condition for that long. How long? 38 years. And um, he asked a ridiculous question, "Do do you want to be made well? And his sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but, but while I'm making another step down before me, he says to him, oh, I didn't finish that, I am coming, another, another one goes down and he basically beats me to the water. And then Jesus said to him, verse eight, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well took his bed and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. And um, uh, we find uh, this, this paralyzed man, Mike made a, a good point on this uh, section. In verse four, uh, he, he, people wondered, did this really happen? Were miracles really taking place? And Mike actually gave the Bible study at the Pool of Bethesda. He says, I thought about it. And it says, if it wasn't a genuine miracle, nobody would be coming back. People were coming back. They've been coming back for a long time. So obviously, um, there's something to this. And we find the Lord um, here at the Pool of Bethesda. So I wanted to take you there and actually show you this. And going back to verse chapter 9 for a second We've, we find this blind man let's continue on in verse 6 and when he had 
said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now, I'd like to also show you a picture of the pool of Siloam. I'm going to put that up here. This is um, at the very bottom of the end of the city of David. The Bible study that we gave here had more to do with um, the original steps that would have went into the Temple Mount. They still exist today. I told this story when we got to the, what we call the Southern Steps because they're original. Neil Armstrong went to Israel, Jerusalem, and he asked his tour guide, he says, can you show me any place where it is beyond any doubt that Jesus actually walked? And the guide said, no problem. And he took him to the southern steps because in order to get into the temple, you had one set of steps that went up and you had one set of steps that would come down. And um, he, he took Neil Armstrong and Neil Armstrong stood on those steps And then he told his guide this. He says, this is more meaningful to me, more emotional for me than walking on the moon. Being in the same place that Jesus actually was. That's a pretty heavy statement to make. And um, uh, the reason I point out the Pool of Siloam, on the Feast of Tabernacles, they would actually leave from this place walk all the way down to the Pool of Siloam for seven days, and then bring water back up and pour it back out. It was John 7. We just did it a couple weeks ago. And this is an A spot. It's actually quite a bit larger. It goes back that way, at least another 50, 75 yards. But I thought coming back, it'd be nice to show you a couple pictures of where the Lord sent this man to wash his eyes. And verse eight, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed, and he came back seeing. Now, I can't even imagine. Maybe a person who wasn't born blind, had a sight and lost it, I don't think could have the the same um, miraculous emotions of never being able to see I can't imagine never being able to see nothing and then all of a sudden you're seeing everything. And this had to be just such an incredible event. I think it's sort of, you know, when Paul said, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, um, the things that God has created for those who love him. Paul, who was taken to the third heaven, said, I'd like to tell you about it. Can't, there's no words. No words can adequately describe when we get translated in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, we're here one minute, and all of a sudden, we're in heaven. And it's going to be like a blind person. 1 Corinthians 13 says, now we look through a glass darkly. In other words, we read about it, we sort of get an idea that the Bible talks about it, but it says then, but someday, face to face. My friends, that's called hope. With all the stuff and how bad and how morally everything is going down, 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 down. That is clearly what the Bible says is going to be the state of our world right before the Lord comes back. 
He says, these are just the beginning of sorrows. So the whole idea of um, that we have to evangelize the world um, before the Lord can come back is ridiculous. We see just the opposite happening. We see um, churches dwindling, people getting farther away from um, Bible teaching. Well, when I hear stuff like that, the scripture that comes to mind, it says the time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine. You know what sound doctrine is? Hearing things you don't want to hear. (laughs) That's what sound doctrine is. But what will they do? Well, they'll gravitate towards places that will tell them what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. So what's the safety net for us? Well, it's simple. You teach the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. Good place for an amen. Amen. It's our safety valve. So we talk about the Bible study this morning that brings up a question. Who sinned? Um, Why is Brandon sick? You know, if he just confess up, everything would be fine, right? I hope he's watching. (laughs) He's watching. Oh, he's enjoying it way too much then. Okay, um, I I say that tongue-in-cheek, but this really happened. And it happened to a man who really didn't do anything wrong. And I'm going to have you turn to the book of Job. So I'm going to, it's right before the Psalms, if you're wondering where Job is. And I'm briefly going to go over um, uh, the first couple chapters here before I introduce you to Job's three friends. Uh, Job was very wealthy, he was godly, he had seven sons and three daughters. And in one day, uh, there was sort of a test. The book of Job is a test. Nothing more, nothing less. And we'll find that out later. Um, Satan and the other angels appeared before the Lord, and the Lord singles out Lucifer, and he says, where you been? Oh, I've been going around here and there, walking over the earth, and... and um, And the Lord said to Satan, well, have you considered Job? You know, he's an upright man. He fears me. He prays for his family. Um, And Satan says, well, of course he does. You got him hedged in on all around. You protect him. Take that hedge of protection away from him. Let me get my hands on him. And he'll curse you to your face. Verse 12 says, behold, all that he has is in your power to do. Well, it's in his power only because now the Lord said it was in his power. God is sovereign. And he was, had a protection hedge around Job. He allowed it to be taken away. And uh, just like the Lord said to Peter, Satan wants to sift you, Peter. Why Peter? Peter was sort of a spokesman. Why Job? He was a righteous man. And he glorified the Lord. And in one day, he lost it all. Seven sons, three daughters, all dead. All of his possessions, stolen by robbers. He has nothing left. And when he had nothing left, what did he do? Verse 20, Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and worshiped. He didn't fall on the ground and say, why me? Why is this happening to me? I thought you were a God of love, on and on and on. No, 
He said, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. I don't know what's going on here, basically, Job is saying. But I know one thing. God is good. And if this is happening to me, there's a purpose and a reason for it. Seven days go by. Chapter two is a repeat of chapter one, only this time uh, the Lord is saying, well, he didn't do what you thought he was gonna do. And basically Job says, yeah, skin for skin. A man will give anything for his life. And he says, okay, I'll let you touch him, but you can't kill him. So he's covered with boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his foot, and he's in excruciating pain. And um, verse eight says he took pot shreds with, to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. And his wife finally said to him, do you still hold to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. Then we have verse 11, the arrival of his three friends. I'm going to go ahead to chapter um, 4 and introduce you. Nobody says a word for seven days. Let that sink in. You, you go visit somebody in the hospital or you go visit a friend who's sick or whatever and uh, you hang out, maybe pray with them. How long are you there for? Maybe an hour, maybe two at most? No. Job's condition was so terrible that all they could do was look at him. Nobody talked. They just sat there for seven days, nothing said. Finally, after that period of time, it was chapter four, verse one, we're introduced to one of his so-called friends, Eliphaz, uh, the Temanite, answered and said, if one attempts a word with you, will you become weary? But who can withhold himself from speaking? Surely you have instructed many, and you have strengthened the weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have strengthened the feeble knees, but now it comes upon you, and now you're weary. It touches you, and you're troubled. Is not your reverence, your confidence, and your, the integrity of your ways, your hope? Re- remember now, whoever perished from being innocent. Well, what's, what, what is he implying here? What did you do, Job? These things don't happen to... Um, Uh, an innocent person, obviously you've done something wrong. Fess up. Or or where were the upright ever, or, or were the upright ever cut off, question? Even as I have seen those who plow in iniquity, so trouble reap the same. By the blast of God they perish, and by the breath of his anger they are consumed. The roaring of a lion, the voice of the lion, and the teeth of the young lion are broken. The old lion perishes for lack of prey, and the cubs of the lions are scattered. Not a word was secretly brought to me, and my ears received a whisper of it. In disquieting thoughts from the vision of the night, when deep 
Sleep falls on men. Fear came upon them and trembling, which made all my bones shake. Then a spirit passed before my face. The hair of my body stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence. Then I heard a voice saying, Can a mortal man be more righteous than God? Um, This guy's just laying it on thick as he's coming down. This is his friends. Can you imagine what his enemies must have been like? I mean, with friends like these, who (laughs) who needs enemies? Can a man be more pure than his maker? Never once has Job made any of these um, declarations in any way, shape, or form. So we're introduced to his first friend here. His name is Eliphaz. Basically, he's saying, come clean, Job, and uh, everything is going to be all right. All right, um, what should he have done? What does the Bible tell us when, when someone is suffering? Are, are we not to rejoice with those who are rejoicing? Are we not to weep with those who are weeping? I got a text from our tour guide, Ziev. His daughter-in-law, uh, for the last two weeks, has have had a disease that could greatly affect uh, the child in her womb and they thought they were going to have to do surgery so that this child would not catch this disease. They did not do the treatment on the girl. They let it go, and we just prayed. We prayed openly for Zev and this little child. So I get a text from Zev yesterday, big smiley face. I'm a grandpa, granddaughter, everything is a okay. <laughs> so uh, Zev's a grandpa I, I texted him back and I says do you remember how to change diapers <laughs> and it all turned out well well uh, the next one here we have is in um, his friend is Bildad uh, let's pick up on Bildad um, what chapter does he start in here? Let me look real quick. Five. Let's pick it up in chapter eight. Then Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, Now, Bildad is very, very famous um, because we've heard of Goliath, right? One of the tallest men ever. Uh, but do you know that uh, Bildad is the shortest man in the Bible? Well, how do I know? Well, he's only a shoe height. He's just no bigger than a shoe height. So he's got to be really short, so (laughs) couldn't resist. He says, how long will you speak these things and the words of your mouth be like a strong wind? Now, the chapters were missed is Job's deep deep anguish and uh, what he's going through. And... um, he says to his friends who has afflicted kindness should be shown by his friends. That's his complaint. You guys are supposed to be loving on me, not ragging on me. And verse three, does God subvert judgment or does the Almighty pervert justice? If your sons have sinned against him, he has cast them away from their transgression. Now the reasons for their son's death, he's saying, this is cruel is because uh, they, they did some sort of transgression. 
If you would earnestly seek God, Job, and make your supplication to the Almighty, if you were pure and upright, surely now uh, he would awake for you and he would prosper you. Job, just confess it. Obviously, you're in sin. And obviously, this is why this is happening. Has Job sinned? Not at all. This is just a test. I'll introduce you to the last of his buddies here. Uh, Chapter 11, um, we read uh, Zophar's first speech. Then Zophar, the Namathite, answered and said, Should not the multitude of words be answered? And should a man full of talk be vindicated? Should your empty talk make men hold their peace? And when you mock, should no one rebuke you? And you have said, my doctrine is pure and I am clean in your eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips against you. You're justifying yourself, Job. But the fact of the matter is, um, um, you've obviously sinned and therefore that is why these things have happened to you. Now, I encourage you to read the whole book of Job. Very interesting book on um, human nature. And I want to go and spare you 38 chapters and go to the very last chapter, verse chapter 42. But much of what we just read is simply regurgitated over and over again for 38 chapters, over almost 40. And it brings us And we find now the Lord finally speaking. And in chapter 42, this is the last chapter of Job, and I'll let it speak for itself. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You ask, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful to me which I did not know. And Job did ramble on a lot. And then when the Lord finally speaks, um, Job repents of of what he had been saying. And he said, listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. He sees the presence of a holy, living God. And now, dealing with Job's friends, and so it was that after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, my wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Well, The Lord will do this, God says this, God says this, God says this, and now the Lord says, I didn't say any of that. And you guys are in big trouble. Now therefore, take for yourself seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourself a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you. We can get sidetracked there about praying for our enemies. For I will accept him, lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right, 
as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite went and did as the Lord commanded them, for the Lord had accepted Job. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then all of his brothers and all of his sisters and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him, ate food with him in his house, and they consoled him and comforted him. That's what these guys should have been doing. For all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. The same amount that he lost. And he called the name of the one that name, and he called the name of the second a different name, and he called the name of the third somebody else. And in all the land there was found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job, and her father gave them an inheritance among their brothers, and after this Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations, so Job died old and full of days. Why is Job in the Bible? Because every person here is going to go through a test just like Job. How are you going to answer him? Are you going to to accuse him? Are you going to realize that God is good? And um, it says that everybody that is a Christian, your faith is going to be tested for we walk by faith and not by sight. So when things aren't going good, are we going to be Job and say, naked I came, naked I go? Blessed be the name of the Lord. I know a lot of people who have lost loved ones or have tragedies and they're mad at God and they're blaming God. The, the, the parable of, of um, the man who built his house on a solid rock and a man who built his house on sand. What they have in common is they both went through storms in life. Everybody goes through storms in life good place for an amen. amen okay the man Jesus said the wise man is a man who hears my word and does them he'll be like a rock building his house out of rock storms are going to come but you're going to stand when when the storm is through but the one who hears the word of God and doesn't do it in other words hears of the word but not doers uh, I'll be like a man who built his house on sand going to go through the same storm except no foundation, and you're going down. And you'll be blaming somebody instead of seeing that, that this is nothing more than a test. And you go, well, I don't really know what's going on right now, but my Bible says that God loves me and he's working some things out for my good. You're right, I'm wrong. He works all things together for my good, no matter what the circumstances are. Amen? Amen. So who sinned? This father or his mother or him? Let's go to Luke 13. Luke 13. There were present at that season, verse one, some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifice. 
And Jesus answered and said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or what about those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think they were worse sinners than all others who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will likewise perished. Who sinned? Well, let's go to the book of Romans chapter three. Romans chapter three, picking it up in verse nine. Says, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all gone out of their way. They have altogether become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Can it be more plain than that? No, but turn the page to verse 21 through 31. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The question, who sinned? Answer, everybody. Without exception, all have sinned and fallen short. Short, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God sent forth to be a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where's boasting then? And that's another way of saying, well, I'm a good person and that's why I'm going to heaven. It's all because I'm a good guy. Well, you're not a good guy. (laughs) None. Where's the boasting? It's excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. You can't have it both ways. We say that over and over and over again for a good reason. We're either saved by your works or you're saved by grace. If works, then it's works. If it's grace, then it's grace. But it's not a combination of, of the two together. Now, having said that, If you are born again, then you're going to find yourself doing good works. Question, does it have anything to do with your salvation? Answer, no. But it will be a byproduct. Uh, We're to be fruit inspectors. They will, we used to have an early Jesus movement song. They will know we are Christians by our works, by our works, right? No. They'll know we are Christians by our love. We used to have a saying in the Jesus movement. Don't tell me how much you know about Jesus. Show me how much like Jesus you are. 
And that, that, that was a keeper that we've kept over the years. Or is he that God of the Jews only? He is not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we established the law. Close you this morning. Um, let's go to John chapter 3. Who sinned? John chapter 3. Closing question, who sinned? Have you? And have you repented? If not, why not? If the Bible declares we're all sinners, have you repented of your sin? And if not, why not? You know there's an answer to that? Why people don't repent of their sins? And we find it in John 3, verse 20. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Oh, it's not that they don't understand the gospel. It's just that they don't want to understand the gospel. Why? Because they love the darkness rather than the light. They love sin rather than righteousness. They're gonna have to change a few things if they give their life to the Lord. Today, if you hear his voice, that still small voice, that's convicting you that you've never ever really just repented before the Lord and acknowledged that, as the scripture says, all have sinned and fallen short of his glory. Today, we never know how long a person has, um, especially the older we get. So today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Accept his free gift of grace. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. All you can do is be grateful for it. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. As we find ourselves, coincidentally, in the pool of Bethesda, in John chapter 9, Lord, who sinned? We've all have sinned and broken your law. And Lord, we're just so grateful for your grace that you love the world so much that you did give your only begotten son, that whoever does believe in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. How grateful we are that you love us, Lord. Undeserving, and yet um, just grateful. So bless your word this day in Jesus' name. Amen. And that's why I'm going to heaven. It's all because I'm a good guy. Well, you're not a good guy. (laughs) None. Where is the boasting? It's excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. You can't have it both ways. We say that over and over and over again for a good reason. We're either saved by your works or you're saved by grace. If works, then it's works. If it's grace, then it's grace. But it's not a combination of, of the two together. Now having said that, if you are born again, then you're gonna find yourself doing good works. Question, does it have anything to do with your salvation? Answer, no. But it will be a byproduct. Uh, We're to be fruit inspectors. 
they will, we used to have an early Jesus movement song. They will know we are Christians by our works, by our works, right? No. They'll know we are Christians by our love. We used to have a saying in the Jesus movement. Don't tell me how much you know about Jesus. Show me how much like Jesus you are. And that, 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 that was a keeper that we've kept over the years. Or is he that God of the Jews only? He is not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we established the law. Close you this morning. Um, let's go to John chapter 3. Who sinned? John chapter 3. Closing question Who sinned? Have you? And have you printed? If not, why not? If the Bible declares we're all sinners, have you repented of your sin? And if not, why not? You know there's an answer to that? Why people don't repent? of their sins, and we find it in John 3, verse 20. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Oh, it's not that they don't understand the gospel. It's just that they don't want to understand the gospel. Why? Because they love the darkness rather than the light. They love sin rather than righteousness. They're going to have to change a few things if they give their life to the Lord. Today, if you hear his voice, that still small voice, that's convicting you that you've never, ever really just repented before the Lord and acknowledged that, as the scripture says, all have sinned and fallen short of his glory. Today, we never know how long a person has, um, especially the older we get. So today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Accept his free gift of grace. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. All you can do is be grateful for it. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. As we find ourselves, coincidentally, in the pool of Bethesda in John chapter nine. Lord, who sinned? We've all have sinned and broken your law. And Lord, we're just so grateful for your grace that you love the world so much that you did give your only begotten son that whoever does believe in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. How grateful we are that you love us, Lord. Undeserving and yet um, just grateful. So bless your word this day in Jesus' name, amen.